Welcome everyone to this special episode of the Higher Ground Podcast. Brought to you I'm John Graff, this is Higher Ground, and as you can probably tell from that little voice, I'm recording from home today, Wednesday, November 25th, the day before Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving in the year 2020, that is, a year to remember or to forget. You can take your pick. One thing's for sure, though, no matter what someone's take on 2020 is, we've learned some lessons this year that will undoubtedly influence and shape our perspectives for generations to come. And those lessons are really important to how we manage things in 2021, particularly as we're planning for more uncertainty next year. And I think it's a foregone conclusion that there will be a lot of uncertainty in 2021 uh, because this COVID thing, this ain't going away anytime soon. At least that's my prediction. And I think that's consistent with uh, all of the experts. Case in point, the run-up to Thanksgiving when you're in college is big for everybody, for students, for their parents, for faculty, for staff. It's the big break situated squarely between midterms and the end of the semester. On the administration side, we're excited for a four-day weekend that signals a bunch of time off between semesters. For students, they've got almost a whole semester of learning behind them. And they can't wait to get home to see some family, to get some home-cooked food, some much-needed TLC from parents or loved ones, to get together with friends from high school. That's Thanksgiving break when you're in college. This year, though, the big break is obviously fraught with peril and some accompanying risk, um, once again, to an institution's brand. On November 19 of this year, the CDC issued guidance on holiday gatherings and celebrations. And we'll put the link to that guidance up on the show notes. I'm quoting from the guidance now. More than 1 million COVID-19 cases were reported in the United States over the last seven days. I'm skipping around a little bit. As cases continue to increase rapidly across the United States, the safest way to celebrate Thanksgiving is to celebrate at home with the people you live with. Gatherings with family and friends who do not live with you can increase the chances of getting or spreading COVID-19 or the flu. The COVID-19 pandemic has been stressful and isolating for many people. Thank you for that wisdom, CDC. Gatherings during the upcoming holidays can be an, an opportunity to reconnect with family and friends. This holiday season, Consider how your holiday plans can be modified to reduce the spread of COVID-19 to keep your friends, families, and communities healthy and safe. Celebrating virtually or with members of your own household who are consistently taking measures to reduce the spread of COVID-19 poses the lowest risk for spread. Celebrating virtually or with members of your own household, parentheses here, who are consistently taking measures to reduce the spread of COVID-19, end parens, poses the lowest risk of spread. Your household is anyone who currently lives and shares common spaces in your housing unit, such as your house or apartment. This can include family members, as well as roommates, or people who are unrelated to you. People who do not currently live in your housing unit, such as college students who are returning home from school for the holidays, should be considered part of different households. In-person gatherings that bring family together Uh, that bring together family members or friends from different households, including college students returning home, 
pose varying levels of risk. We know that the CDC is locked in on college students as particularly high risk this weekend, right? So what do they want people to do about it? Let's look again at the guidance. And I'm going to sprinkle a little commentary in on this in the name of practicality, of course, but also because I can't really help myself. Here we go. Quoting, college students who travel to visit family or friends should be thought of as overnight guests. They and their hosts, which might include their own parents, should follow all overnight guest precautions to protect themselves for the duration of the visit. For longer visits, after 14 days of following guest precautions, the student, if without symptoms or recent contacts with anyone with COVID-19, can be considered a household member and follow steps to protect themselves and others. Here's where I'm going to infuse a little commentary. I guess that would be the 14-day Thanksgiving four-day weekend. And then, of course, there are tips for overnight guests. Wear masks while inside the house. Masks may be removed for eating, drinking, and sleeping, but individuals from different households should stay at least six feet away from each other at all times. Okay, this is where they're losing me. You've got a 19-year-old college kid, Jack, say, who comes home after not seeing his younger siblings for three months. And uh, remember, our college student here, Jack, is technically, according to the CDC, from a different household. So the CDC is suggesting that Jack stay at least six feet away from little brother and sister at all times. Yeah, right. Mom and dad, I'll ask you this question. Are we really not going to hug Jack, who's home for the first time since the summer? I mean, right upon walking through the door, he's getting a hug, right? CDC guidance aside. And what about students coming home to small houses or apartments? I guess some would say, well, then if you don't have a big house to go home to, then just stay at school. What about all the equality and leveling the playing field we've been talking about for the last six months? No, people will go home no matter how big or small their home may be, and they won't always be able to observe the recommended protections. It's important to remember that COVID impacts people in disproportionate ways, not just in terms of infection, but in terms of practical ability to adhere to prevention recommendations and strategies. Another piece of the guidance here. Improve ventilation by opening windows and doors or by placing central air and heating on continuous circulation. So I did a little AccuWeather search last night and the temperature in Fargo, North Dakota this Thursday, tomorrow, while the windows are supposed to be open during the small gathering, uh, the temperature is going to be 36 degrees Fahrenheit. I'll look to another city. Fairbanks, a city in the center of Alaska, has reported about 3,250 total cases, 17 deaths. The whole state of Alaska has reported about 28,708 cases with 110 deaths as compared to the rest of the country. Not too bad, right? Do you think that somewhere in the approximately 5,300 colleges and universities in the United States that serve some 19.9 million students, one, maybe even two of those students are from Fairbanks, Alaska, and might be going home there for Thanksgiving, where the weather is expected to be all of 16 degrees Fahrenheit on Thanksgiving Day? How long do you think the windows in those students' houses are going to be open? Back to the guidance. Avoid singing or shouting, especially indoors. More commentary from Graf. After nearly a year of misery, telling people that they can't hug their sons and their daughters and their siblings now, on top of that, is it realistic to expect people not to sing or shout, especially while they're drinking? Alcohol, that is. I'm just going to say they absolutely deserve to be able to drink alcohol as much as they want, in my opinion, after what they've been through this year. But I, I, and I don't know how, I don't know many Thanksgiving carols. Actually, I don't know any 
So I'm not sure how much singing is going to be done at any Thanksgiving dinner, any Thanksgiving caroling, but I'm well acquainted with loud talk and shouts and laughter at Thanksgiving because that's what it's all about, right? It's all about getting together and having fun. I'm not advocating for gatherings. I really am not. We're not traveling anywhere. We're sitting tight. We're trying to do the right thing here. But I will say that part of the fun of Thanksgiving is sort of how loud and festive the occasion is. I'll go back to the guidance. Finally, treat pets as you would other human family members. Do not let pets interact with people outside the household. So when young Jack comes home from school and Fido jumps up on him because he's so dang excited to see the boy he grew up with, don't let that happen. Just crate him or something. Fido, that is the dog. Uh, Don't crate the college student. Um, Although they are from outside the household, so maybe you'll see that guidance coming one day. Do you see my point? Why am I going through all of this? It's just CDC guidance, you say. John, you're not a medical expert, and you sound like you're being critical of it. Am I? Am I being critical for the sake of being judgmental? Or am I critically thinking about this guidance and pointing out some realities that the guidance does not account for, but which nevertheless may very well impact your campus when young Jack returns after Thanksgiving? Or maybe your school isn't having students back until January. Now Jack has been home for almost two months doing what college kids do and then coming back to campus. And maybe while he was away, he wasn't really following all of the CDC guidance because, you know, people are worn down. And with the numbers rising the way that they are, despite all of the protections and lockdowns, some might lose a little faith in the necessity of these things, especially young people who feel invincible because that is part of youth, right? Feeling invincible. And this is just the college students. With all the travel this weekend, they will cross paths with millions of other people in a network of close contacts that may bring with them implications for schools, big implications, whether as a result of what the students bring back with them to campus or as a result of what they bring home from campus. The optics around this are not great for a school, no matter how you slice it. Okay, so you ask, where are we, John? What's this all about? We've had college students come back to campus. We're sending them home. And then we're having them back probably in January. What else are we going to do? Remember what I said in the beginning. This is not going away anytime soon, this COVID thing. We saw what a surge or what we thought was a surge was going to do to us back in March, April, May, and all of the lockdowns and restrictions and closings that we had to undertake in order to stem the surge. And now the numbers are getting bigger and bigger and bigger. So assuming your students are not coming back before January, you've got the better part of a month or a month and a half before the winter break to do some self-assessment and forward planning. So I would recommend if you are in the administration and the leadership of higher ed that you do it. Look at how you handled the first wave of COVID back in the spring. And if you had pockets of activity, clusters, policy violations, since the students have come back, look at those events. Ask yourselves, What happened, why did it happen, and what is likely to happen next? So what does it mean to ask yourself what happened? Seems obvious, doesn't it? It's not as obvious as we might think sometimes. That's the first question to be asked, though, always, whether you're giving an incident summary or a briefing, 
about a development that affects a plan. I cannot tell you the number of times I've been facilitating an after action review or a hot wash or some kind of post incident analysis when something happened, things got violent during a demonstration, the cops went to the wrong location for a critical medical incident, a student went missing, somebody hit send too early on a social media post, a student overdosed, etc. And we're sitting around a table during the after action analysis and there's not even agreement on what actually happened. So we need to be able to frame the issue properly. And that requires clarity in defining what actually happened. Then we ask ourselves, why did this happen? Why did the person do what they did? Why did we not pick up on the issue before it happened? Why did we not communicate effectively maybe before or during the event that we're reviewing? Understanding why something happened is critical to understanding three very important things. One, accurately identifying additional angles to your problem. The second is understanding how to keep it from happening again. And the third is understanding what is likely to happen next. And that is our final question. What is likely to happen next? Based on our understanding of why something went down the way it did, we try to spot the next dominoes that we can reasonably expect to fall. We ask ourselves, what does it mean to our operation if they do fall? And we try to plan to avoid that fall. And we try to plan to respond to it if it does happen. So let's bring it into focus with respect to our COVID planning. If you've listened to us in the past, you know I hit this analytical loop over and over again because it is so critically important to crisis management. And I would venture to say that nine months in, we're still in crisis mode. We are in sustained marathon crisis mode where the threat shows absolutely zero immediate sign of letting up and in fact, it's getting worse despite everything that we have sacrificed to avoid this very outcome. Why mention the fact that we have sacrificed, yet we are still here because there's a psychological impact of that reality on our ability to manage crisis. We look at this in totality and we say, geez, we thought that if we did the right thing, we'd be out of the woods by now, but we're not. And we need to stay on our toes and we need to be constantly reflecting on how we managed the big events and even the small events so that as we work through this to get on the other side, and we will get on the other side, we're able to plan and manage our issues accordingly. Couple the reality that we're still in crisis mode with the fact that the institution of higher ed took a fairly large risk bringing students back to campus this fall. It was needed, right? The financial cost of not doing so was too great for the most part, especially for smaller schools. And higher ed serves a population of students and parents expecting that the students are going to make academic progress toward the next stage of their lives. So this is nothing even remotely close to an easy problem to work through, but we've learned a lot about how to respond or how we respond to a large-scale crisis, or at least we should have learned. Um, on that note, I've partnered with the public affairs and risk management firm, the Hawthorne Group in Virginia. You might recall that a couple of episodes ago, we had John Ashford, a, a political strategist with uh, the Hawthorne Group on the show uh, to talk about the impact of the election on higher ed. But in any event, I have partnered with Hawthorne 
to conduct a top-line analysis of the lessons higher ed institutions have learned from their processes to respond to the pandemic, what has worked, what has not worked, et cetera. So we are looking for some institutions, some higher ed institutions, to volunteer to take a very brief anonymous survey that's tailored to understanding how schools rate certain aspects of their COVID response strategies. Um, once the survey results are in, we're going to analyze them and turn them into a white paper, which we will then share with all of the study participants. We're hoping that the results uh, will help guide decision-making going forward, or at least help schools to develop a framework for evaluating crisis management performance and decision-making, because again, we are in sustained crisis mode. If you're interested in joining us for the study, or even just learning more about it, um, please hit me up at jgraff, J-G-R-A-F-F at HRW Lawyers, or you can call me at 617-348-4300, or you can DM me on Twitter. It's at JT Graf. All participation is confidential. We will not attribute any observations, any ratings, any information in the survey to any specific institution, unless you specifically authorize us to do that. So, a few things on the practical level for us all to be thinking about between now and the next surge. That's what we've been talking about. Um, but now I want to shift gears to close it out with a couple of thoughts before the Thanksgiving weekend. You know, we started this podcast to bring real-time analysis of emerging issues in higher ed to the higher ed community in order to make a positive difference in the industry that we work in and that we have been so fortunate to serve. Our approach has been a simple one. We have a lot of higher ed specific experience at HRW, and there's a lot of higher ed specific knowledge outside of our firm. We wanted to bring those worlds together because the issues confronting higher ed are so challenging and they evolve more rapidly than ever before. Part of that is it's just a result of uh, social media, right? Information travels faster and that makes problems bigger in a much quicker fashion. And part of it is that the world has just become so much more complicated and so much more fast moving, even despite the brief pause on everything that COVID caused. At the end of the day, higher ed is a microcosm of society. The reality is that while at college and university, we are in a bit of a safer place to learn and to make mistakes and to grow. But higher ed is still a complicated business. And there's still risk for everyone involved, the schools, their faculty, their staff, their trustees, alumni, donors, parents, and very importantly, the students, those young people whose interests we serve. Our goal at Higher Ground is to do something to help move the needle forward, to bring an additional perspective to the relevant issues, to connect people who are knowledgeable and interested in making a difference and being heard, to provoke thought and to keep the tough discussions happening and to do it with some levity when we can. And I will ask the tough questions. I'm not afraid. I've never been afraid to ask the hard questions. And I've never been afraid to give the unvarnished perspective and feedback. And I will keep doing it. That's my commitment to you. If you are listening to this show, you are listening to get the real take on things. And it's my commitment to you that we will continue to provide that. And of course, we're going to do it while constantly expressing an undying appreciation for music, especially, as you know, rock and roll and heavy metal. We had a slow start in 2019 as we learned how to put out a podcast. It's a really steep learning curve, at least to learn how to do it the right way. And for those of you who know me, you know I tend to be a bit of a perfectionist and I have a vision for how I want it to go and I will work relentlessly to see that vision come to reality. We've hit a steady cadence now. We've had some great guests and some great discussions. We've put out some solid content 
and you'll see come December, we've got some very good things in store for you in 2021. In particular, we'll be discussing uh, through a series of episodes the impact of certain parenting approaches on higher ed operations um, on a number of levels and in a number of and in a number of areas. As we head into the Thanksgiving weekend, a holiday about gratitude during a time of struggle on so many different fronts for so many different people, I have so much to be grateful for. First and most importantly, I'm grateful to my family who put up with someone who too often is exceedingly focused on his work. And I'm grateful to them for the way that they push me to stretch my thinking and my perspective on any number of issues and for the creativity and the dedication that they inspire in me. I thank you guys and I love you all. I'm grateful to my law partners for having the trust and the confidence in me to get this podcast up and running and to do it in a way that would reflect well on the HRW brand and on my partners individually. Guys, thank you very, very much. I can't thank you enough. I'm grateful to the entire HRW team for their enthusiastic support of Higher Ground. I can't tell you how many times somebody will ping me on email or send me a text and say that they love the episode, um, encourage me and Aaron to keep up the good work. Thank you guys for that support. And a special thanks to the support staff. Uh, the logistics to get something like this done are, are very complicated at times, and they're very hard. And I very humbly appreciate the contribution that you guys make, especially Aaron Larson, our marketing and communications genius at HRW. You know, few and far between are the opportunities in a career like mine to partner with somebody on something like this. Aaron, a very humble thanks to you for helping me to stay on track, for holding me accountable, for the encouragement and good humor you infuse into every single thing that we do, for giving me the hard feedback that I need, and for your relentlessness in the pursuit of excellence and our show's success. Thank you. I'm grateful to my good friend from Austin, Texas, that is, Scott Schneider, for being a constant wingman on the show, and more importantly, just a good human being that I'm very proud to call my friend every single week. I get a text or a call from Scott, even if we're not recording, just checking in to say hello and to see how I'm doing. Things are restrictive here in Massachusetts. They've been more restrictive than in a lot of places. And Scott and I have talked about that at times. You know, um, we here in my household, we rally to the cause. And right now the cause is to help prevent the spread of COVID. And we're willing to do our part. And we do it. It's not always easy. And sometimes I'll share how not easy it is with some people, including a good confidant like Scott. And so he knows that. And he's always got a friendly text or friendly phone call or voicemail just to check in say hey man i'm thinking about you hope it's all going well it's important to stay connected in times like this scott i really appreciate you my brother i really do i'm grateful to our many guests who have joined us for our great discussions for their time for their enthusiasm for their insights and for their commitment to the great learning experience we all seek to have and i am so tremendously grateful to all of the many people who have taken the time to listen to our show we know your time is important that you spend it with us means absolutely everything to us. Without you, we've got nothing. You inspire us to want to do the best that we can every time out. And we thank you for your notes of support, your likes, your follows, your shares, your feedback. I want it all, the good, the not so good, all of it. We're not always going to hit it out of the park, but we are always going to try. And keeping that feedback coming is very, very helpful to us. So thank you for that. Thank you for what you've done for us and what you will do for us in helping to get the numbers up, get more exposure for the show, and get out good information, good content to the higher ed community. 
and I am sincerely grateful to everyone in my sphere on any given day, no matter where they fall, no matter what role they play, whether the experience feels good or not good, it doesn't matter. Every single interaction that I have with every single person helps to inform some bit of perspective and approach in developing the content that we put out. And so I thank you for your contribution too. And with that, if you're celebrating Thanksgiving, I wish you all a happy holiday. If you're not, I hope you all enjoy a four-day weekend. This is Higher Ground. I am John Graff. That's a wrap.